This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today, while some of you are braving the cold weather to score the best deal on a medium-sized television, the rest of us are going to be at home playing board games. Oh, for God's sakes, again this year? And here to make your board game holiday better, we'll send Joe live to Dallas, Texas and the BoardGameGeek.com board game convention to talk to the host of popular Game Night YouTube show, Lincoln Damhurst. Plus, if you're looking for some cheap date night entertainment, maybe visiting a board game cafe or a convention would be fun for you. Yeah, right. Replacing our Friday FinTech segment today, we're rolling out some new board game tech with the co-creator of the Find Your Meeple website, Jeremiah Cole Kelly. And now, the guy who's a kid in a candy store when you put him in the middle of a bunch of board game nerds, Joe Salciha. Are you kidding me? There is no better place on earth than a board game convention. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the most special episode that we have all year long. While everybody else is out at the mall, you get to hang out with us and talk board games. No better way, by the way, in my mind, to teach people about games. But but we're about to have some fun. I'm going to jump in the time travel machine back to last week when I was at a convention called Board Game Geek. We'll take a little break in the middle to talk to my friend, Jeremiah Cole Kelly, about Game Cafe. So why games? 
I don't think there's a better way for people to learn to learn about money than having casual, easy conversations. Money nerds always want to have the big, difficult conversation. Don't get me wrong. Those are important, but you're never going to get people to the table when it seems intimidating and seems tough. People are always going to put that stuff off. I put that stuff off. So instead, make it light, make it fun. And how do you do that? I think board games, great way to do it. I'll tell you, when I was in uh, eighth grade, my family decided not to have a television anymore. And my grades went from B minuses, C pluses, all the way up to nearly straight A's. And not only that, we had so much fun as a family playing games. We laughed together. We had a great time. And that began this love affair that I have with uh, games. Usually not about the game. It's about hanging out, having a good relaxing, fun time with people. So how do we do that? Well, luckily, Lincoln Damhurst agreed to be my guest this year on the show. He is the wonderful host and creator of a show called Game Night. Game Night you'll find on YouTube. The way Game Night works is it's Lincoln, his uh, fantastic spouse, Nikki, his friend Dave Arnott. Dave has been on our show on this episode before. If you go back to past Black Friday episodes. He has been on with Mark Johnson uh, talking about board games in the past. So the three of them are always joined by a rotating set of characters, almost like we have our Friday roundtable. They have a table with three regulars and a new person talking about different games. You'll find Game Night on the Board Game Geek YouTube channel. Board Game Geek's YouTube channel, by the way, 96,000 subscribers. The Board Game Geek website, I believe, uh, I've been told, gets 2 million visitors a day. Both of them fantastic resources. If you're looking to see whether a game is good or not, BoardGameGeek.com and uh, Game Night if you want to see the game in action and see how it's played. So without further ado, let's head to Dallas, Texas, and my conversation with Lincoln Damhurst from Game Night. I am here live at Board Game Geek 2019, and I'm sitting with my new friend, Lincoln Damhurst, from the awesome show, Game Night. How are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. It's funny because I feel like I know you because I watch Game Night all the time. You guys have a ton of fun. We've had uh, Dave Arnott, who always explains the games on the show before. On this particular episode, he's been on with our mutual friend, Mark, Mark Johnson, Johnson yep. who's been here talking games. Let me ask you this first, Game Night, how did you guys, how'd you guys come up with the idea to do this long form show about teaching and playing board games? Well, Aldi, the owner of Board Game Geek, met us in 2006. He saw our group and thought we were a lot of fun. And he likes watching video game playthroughs. So he'll watch multiple episodes with a playthrough the entire game. And he thought this would be a great idea. I was like, who's going to want to watch a people playing a board game for two hours, right? How dry is that? <laughs> right. And so Tabletop came out like seven months later. And he thought, yeah. oh, Will, this is it. Yeah, Will, Will Wheaton Will show. Wheaton, yeah. He's like... This is it. I'm going to say, and, and it wasn't what he wanted because it was a, a concise show that was edited down. It was 30 minutes. So it definitely was beneficial to the hobby, but it wasn't what Scott wanted. So at this point in time, so this is 2012, I believe, Nikki and I were not playing games. We were so busy 
we our game group had kind of dissolved. We had too busy to be involved in the game group where we met Dave. And Nikki, by the way, is your spouse who's also on the show. Yep, yep. And she's the only one that's been on every single show. Yeah. I will bow out when we have too many people for an episode. I actually prefer no more than four players. And some games don't take any more than four players and we'll have five. So she's always been on the show. And first she's like, I'll bow. I'm like, no. And then when people realized that she was the only one, people acknowledged it. Now it's a point of pride. So she's now says I'm the only one that's been on the show, the, uh, every show. But I wondered if she'd like being on every show or if she's pressed into service. There is definitely some of that. She gets more conventions, the con crud thing. I'm sure you know about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. She's more susceptible to that than I am. And then, of course, so that we just got back from uh, Spiel in Essen uh, a couple weeks back. Which is a huge, by the way, for everybody, huge, huge convention. We'll talk about that yep. in a second. Sure. Yeah. And so anyway, our friend uh, that we were going to be visiting after the convention got sick at the con. Then Nikki got sick the Monday or Tuesday following the con. Then oh. our friend's husband got sick. And then I was the only lone survivor. And I'm talking to Aldi when he had already gone back home. And I said, everybody's sick around me. I'm doomed. And uh, so then I got sick just before we headed home. So You had was, like a bullseye on your yeah, chest. Yeah, oh man, it was terrible. <laughs> But just to give people an idea of how big the board game world really is today, because I'm sure a lot of people listening, Lincoln, still think about, you know, Clue, Life, yeah. Payday, maybe Monopoly, right? Careers. Uh, uh, careers. Oh, I can't forget <laughs> careers, right? Going after the hearts of yeah. the stars. Absolutely. This convention we're at right now, Board Game Geek, about how many people are here playing games? 35, 3,600 people. 35, 30, all playing board games. Yep, which 24 is hours a day. Phenomenal. Yeah. And then at Essen, which is the huge uh, fair in Germany, about how many people attend that? I believe it's about, a, this year was like a hundred or 120,000 people, um, which is exciting. It's similar to Gen Con. Gen Con has 60, 70,000, which... Those don't sound like similar numbers, but in uh, Spiel, folks come in from around the country or around the na uh, Europe for a day. They'll take the train in, they'll buy, it's much more consumer-oriented, and then they're gone. There's no evening gameplay, because Gen Con is kind of like this, where that whole town becomes the convention, all the hotels are involved, and... There's gaming 24 hours a day at that convention as well. But the vendor hall's done at 6 o'clock or Indianapolis like that. Yeah. becomes Board Game Central. It is. It's crazy. For those days. But they're both very, very large conventions with a tremendous amount of attendees. But it's really fun. And so Nikki gets, getting back to why we were talking about that, she gets sick often and she'll be feeling bad and she's more than willing to take a nap or whatever. And so we try to take it easy when she's not feeling great. But uh, we also try not to film if she's not feeling great. Let's talk about money and games, because obviously, ostensibly, that's what this show's about. Sure. Some people question that, wonder uh, if that's really what it's about. But I love games. I don't like games, Lincoln, that teach me things. But there are games where I've learned about money or I've learned about finance or building a business. Money plays an integral part of a lot of games. There's a train game you and I were talking about recently that's a very, very kind of difficult game uh, called 1830. Yeah. 1830 and it's this whole Robber series. Robber barons and yeah. railroads and robber barons. Yeah, the, the old days of railroads and people, hostile takeovers yes. and all that stuff. That one's a neat game because it has the whole companies breaking down the rusting of engines and stuff like that. We had some friends, Ambi Valdez and Toby Mao, that love 18xx games, which is, this is like the grandfather of all those games. Yeah. They wanted to teach the game on the show and they asked if we'd be interested. And it's a deep game with lots of math. I was surprised how much I kept up on the math because it's, you're, you're figuring out the values of the stocks and when you should 
so because you have to you have to keep upgrading your locomotives. The old ones rust out because it's taking place over an extended. Yeah, you're period running of time. a business. Yes, and you have to keep and to keep floating your, yeah. the stocks and stuff. So it's a total stock market game with some neat board play with tile laying and stuff like that. To where you're edging out competition into markets and stuff like that. So uh, with the lines that are connecting the. Uh, cities on the east coast and by the way even though we started with this i would tell people listening do not start with do, that do game. not start with 1830 yeah, unless you watch game night first and you can watch those <laughs> toby does a fantastic job teaching it and then ambi has some videos on she's board game blitz on youtube that teaches the game as well and they are really really real big advocates for that uh, for those games when you think about people though trying to get an introduction to economics running a business maybe some very light money involvement games what comes to mind well, I love this game called Speculation. It's a stock market game that is very, very abstracted, but really fun. And you get to enjoy the whole roller coaster of investing in stocks. It's, again, it's not necessarily real world, but it certainly feels real world to me in the way, like, how long do I hold on to these stocks and when do I bail and do I pick up some bargains and see if that ha- carries me someplace? And it's really amazing. It's funny when we have uh, financial geese come to town and actually financial podcasters, Rocky Lavani from the Richer Soul podcast uh, came to a game night and that's that's the game that we played. It's amazing. And it was a game that was produced by Dirk Hen, who did Alhambra and games like that. Yeah, a lot Very, of award he's winning. Done, he's done a lot of award winning. Yes. Games. And yeah. Shogun. Is that right? Or Samurai? Yes. Shogun. I think yeah, Shogun. Right. And uh, Wallenstein. And so this was one of his games that I felt was overlooked. And Nikki had worked for Queen Games at the time. And I told the owner of that company, why haven't you released this game? This is a fantastic game. They handmade their games back in that day. Dave bought one of those, not there, because they would sell them. I think you'd order them, and then they'd sell them to you at the convention out of their backpack. A homemade version. Yes, that that was printed out. And then they would color it in with markers and use colored paper for the money and stocks. And then they used like, contact paper to seal it all in or something like that. It was amazing. Real nice production, though, where they had like a f- interesting hinge over the box and a leather strap to hold it all together. So then Rajiv Gupta from Queen Games redid the game and put a new version. I'm sure that's the version you guys actually play. I do. It looks really nice. It um, So you have a collection of stocks and you buy stocks at the beginning of the game, hoping that they go up and some do and some don't. And it's really easy. You pass a bag around the table and everybody takes a turn. You take out a piece and you kind of decide then in order whether you're going to buy more stocks, sell stocks. And based on where they're at on the board, you can kind of see where you think they're going. Right. Which also means there's times when you can crash and burn. Oh, absolutely. It's I really love it. And so the values change as you're going along the chart, the represented with a dropping uh, uh, market line. That game, funnily enough, the original version of the game is dice. So you're rolling dice oh. every turn to determine what you're going to be for that, what you're going to do that, for that turn, bag. what you're going to be trading, exactly. And they did do, based on my, like you have to have the dice, they did like a little promo with the dice so that you could play the game with the dice and it's essentially identical but i like i mean i like the insanity of dice i don't know why (laughs) i used to really hate dice games and now i love the crazy chance of how dice games. well which is funny that you're saying that because a lot of people at this convention don't like dice but in the broader context you know lincoln most people think that every game has dice yeah right dice used to be the bane of my existence i really was frustrated with them and I grew to love the the uncertainty of dice. It's one of the biggest things that I enjoy in games now is that craziness. So we, on our show, we do lots of co-ops, 
particularly because I like losing games. I think it's funny when we lose as a group. You know, we're all trying our best, and through everything we do, it doesn't work out. And these these co-op games that Lincoln's talking about are games where you're all in the same team. You're playing against the game. Right. But I was just wondering... Can you think of any economic or business co-op games? I think to some degree, now boarding is a, is a new one. That's a good one, yeah. Everybody owns an airline, but you're all working together to make sure that the passengers aren't upset. Right. Getting across the country, making their runs that they need to get. Uh, it's a brutal game. <laughs> we played that with five, which as I, I don't really like playing with five players because I feel it adds too much chaos to filming and craziness, but we had... Nick and Mike Murphy on the show, and they're a package deal essentially most of the time. And we already had Rusty teaching, and so Nikki and I are on every show. And then that was one case where I did not want to bow out, so I ended up uh, filming it with all of us. And it was insane, I think, because in that game, when you play with less players, Seattle's not, uh, not a on market. The board. Yep. Yeah, the board's two sided. Yep. But I feel, still feel it's kind of shortchanged. Even though there's definitely stuff going there. I was my airline was based in Seattle, so it was probably Alaska Airlines. But it was great. It's a really, really fun game. And Tim Fowler is really fantastic. And you're adding seats. I mean, yep. you're <laughs> expanding your plane mid flight, which I think is most <laughs> hilarious. It's like I'm gonna extend my capacity on my plane, I'm gonna add some seats, I'm gonna put better engines on. It's really hilarious. Yeah, and what's funny about that is that, you know, if you're not interested in the airline industry, it gives you a little insight into how chaotic this can all be yeah. and, and trying to take care of your passengers. When you were talking earlier earlier about speculation, I thought you were going to talk about one of my favorite games, which is another classic, which is called Acquire. Yeah, a 3M game too, Sid Saxon. I love that game. There's no marks against it, but actually there's a game that I love called Big Boss, designed by Wolfgang Kramer, I believe in the 80s, that was inspired by Acquire. And instead of horizontally growing, so you would grow a corporation on the board in Acquire by playing Two cards? Was that what it is? To you would do? just play one chip to the board. Right. And it goes in a set spot. And on its it, own? And then that own. would be the beginning? Okay. Yeah. And as you... Well, that's right. You'll have other cards that you hope that you can add to it to make that corporation grow. That's right. Yeah. Yes. It's exactly the same in Big Boss, except Big Boss does not have a grid board. It's serpentine kind of figure eight, but it doesn't interconnect. It just is a big loop. The corporations only grow linear along that line. So you're going to hope that you have a couple cards together to help grow that. Others can join in with you on that and buy stocks as well, just like in Acquire. But the other difference is things grow vertically as well. So that increases the value of the uh, companies more quickly. The way it works is there'll be a number spot for every position on the game board, and then they'll have etage cards or stage cards that there's more ones than there are twos than there are threes than there are fours, and only maybe one or a few fives. So the highest it can get is five. Then when you make it a corporation, you put a flag on the top, huh. and it's fantastic. And it's one of those games that we'd hope that we would somehow re... I mean, you know, there's all that grail game stuff that people don't. Is this one of those games? Yeah, because I've never heard of this. The guy who designed it is a well-known yep. game designer, so I definitely know Wolfgang Kramer, but I'd never heard of this game. It's a great game, and it had come out, I think it was Alcazar, maybe 11 years ago, and they kind of messed it up by taking away a player, and then they added something where you could bridge corporations between the tracks, so on like the track between there would be a, one, a single space between that little zigzaggy where you could bridge across and then grow the corporation. And I'm not sure there's, so what's great is I was saying, uh, we'd hope that'd be a game that we get 
re get going and we were doing the BGG library party where we prep the games for this convention and there's a game we're box we're working on it's called Chartered the Golden Age and it's Dutch trading and it's big boss redone and it's Wolfgang Kramer's game but there's a some other developer or designer from a Dutch company that's working on it and so we're excited we're actually we'll probably do that on the show so it's once again available and it's really really a great game it's out now and it's called Chartered that is correct and so yeah it says reimplements big boss and it's Alexander Neepkens, and there's another designer that's on the box that's not shown here. So I think, sure. Lincoln, that would be, visually, it'd be a fun game, like for people just well, walking by or, or playing. The like original you- production is ridiculous. It has these plastic pieces that are translucent plastic, smoky red, and it was really exciting. I actually was contemplating making my own copy. I had access to a laser cutter and was prepping pieces, because I had done that. That's one thing I like to do, but I haven't done that in a long time. I Back in the day, I'd done a uh, I played Survive, the game that Stronghold did in, about 10 years ago. I never played that one in the day. And I've played a friend's. I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. And so I end up making my own version of that game. And then I was thinking about doing the same thing with Big Boss. And then we were able, fortunately, get an original copy of the first run of that. Survive the game where the island is slowly blowing up and yeah, you're and trying sinking, to get your people. Get oh, off. that's great. And you have no idea the values of them and you're trying to get them off on boats and stuff. We're going to, in just a second, change gears, guys, and not talk finance. We're going to talk about if you're playing games with family members that don't play games often, what are some good titles around the holidays? And that's a good one, I would think, to play Fantastic games with. Game, with yeah. Oh, yeah. Nothing I like better than watching my friends uh, (laughs) get eaten by a shark. shark. (laughs) Yes, or the sea monster, whatever it might be. It's great. Yeah, watching everybody slowly die. (laughs) But one more thing for people that want a very light game that might have money as a theme. I think of a game like For Sale as an example. For Sale is a card game where you're buying and selling houses. The first half of the game, I think you're you're accumulating different properties, and then the second half you're selling them. But it really is you have a hand of cards with different values, and then you're you're selling them off. That's one that I always think of. What's another lightish game that involves money or economics? Goodness gracious, I know there are some, and I definitely enjoy. I mean, I'm a super omni gamer. I really love every type of game, but. Um, I have one that everybody hated except me. Uh, I think it was called Big Money, came out last year. And it's another one where I can't even remember how it works. We played it once. It came out from Wonderforge. I think it's a closed pool of money, and you're collecting it from everybody else. And so I had all the money. And so Keith, our friend Keith Collins played it, and he had nothing. And he was so angry, and he hated it, of course. And I loved it because I had all the money. Uh, But that was a blast. I still feel that that's a funny game and fun, but many people don't like it. So, Well, there's a light one, too, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking uh, 49. I don't know that one. 49 is like uh, Connect Four. Everybody starts off with $49, and there's 49 squares in a grid that looks like a big bingo card. with, uh, And you're basically trying to put four in a row, but you turn over a card, and let's say it's space 18, that space then goes up for bid and you go around the table trying to bid on that space. And then there's a few wild cards in the deck. And whenever a wild card comes out, depending on how many spaces you already have, you're going to get money. And and to some degree, it's a little bit of the rich get richer. So you want to make sure you stay in the game and you get something, but you're also trying to calculate the value of this stuff. And it's, it's a group thing. There's a new one. Auction games are weird. So one of my, our favorite all time auction games is, Traumfabrik or Hollywood that's, Blockbuster. That's one of my other favorite yeah. games. It's it's a great auction game. And the neat thing about that game is there's ways to win 
having bad productions. You know, you're, yes. you're getting a director, you're getting actors, you're getting a screenwriter, and you're building this fantastic project. And the, like the European ones actually use the real photos of the artists or whatever, uh, renderings of the photos of the artists and uh, their names and all that stuff. We played this game last week. And while I was trying to make these art house pictures that were high budget, really expensive movies, my buddy won by just putting out schlock. Yeah. Andy Hill from Marriage, Kids and Money, by the way, for every... That's one of Nikki's all-time favorite games. And that's designed by Reiner Knizia. But another game that I just remembered is called Pappy Winchester from Blue Orange. Pappy Winchester dies and you're all trying to buy property in this town in the surrounding area, you have goal cards like to get specific types of properties in the desert, around the general store, things along the river, and there's a boat that you're moving around that will bump up value. And it's again, you have only, it's a closed market so economy, so you're getting money from everybody else. I thought I was doing terribly because I wasn't winning what I thought I needed, but I had just acquired so much money. Because one of the deals is, is as you buy stuff, I can't remember how the what the money that sloughs off into the store, but that money, when you do a specific thing, you get to take that into your hand. And that was where I gained all my money. I had 30-some dollars. What kind of stuff are you trying to buy? Uh, you're buying property on, yeah, the, on the board. So it's yeah, buildings yeah. or land around certain types of, uh, in the mountains, in the forests. And it's really actually quite a fun game. And if it's blue-orange games, I would think it's a fairly light game, too. Yeah, absolutely. Very light game. It'll be a game night episode here soon. <laughs> yeah, that's that's cool. Big thanks to Lincoln for hanging out. All right. You might have thought during that, you could have thought two things. Maybe you thought, man, those guys are a couple nerds. And the answer then is yes, absolutely. But I love those games. Great recommendations. We'll have those in the show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. So you have a resource to go to. Also, though, you might have been thinking, hey, this board game convention thing sounds pretty cool. While Board Game Geek will list a lot of those conventions they don't list another place where it's fun to play games which are board game cafes cafes sprouting up around the country lots of fun i've been to three myself so i'm very happy to have a guest on who's creating a new resource for people to find a cafe to play a game find a board game store find the local convention basically find out where nerdery is happening so where do you buy these games we're talking about locally Where can you check them out? Where can you maybe sign them out and give them a play or two? Jeremiah Cole Kelly is the co-creator of a brand new website and app called Find Your Meeple. We should ask him to explain to us what a meeple is when we talk to him. Let's say hello to him, though, right now. Mr. Jeremiah Cole Kelly coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs to the basement to talk conventions and board game cafes, it's our new friend, Jeremiah Cole Kelly. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you doing? Well, are you kidding me? We're going to talk board games. It and, doesn't get better than that. Yeah. And by the way, this is the halfway point of me talking about Lincoln Damhurst from BGG about board games. So talking more board games to separate my other board game discussion, a little ADD, but a lot of fun. No, that's the way you should do it. I, I don't I don't know what, you know, the rest of the time you talk about. What is it, money? That's fine. When did you first start diving into the fun new world of board games and discover there was something beyond uh, Monopoly? You know, I've been playing the second set of Monopoly, but I've been playing Risk forever. We'd go to my parents' house in the summers and uh, me and my buddy would play Risk. It'd be out. We would play. We'd play all night. We'd start over. We'd play again. Is this at like um, uh, 12 years old? Yeah. Yeah. At least, yeah. You're starting early. So 12, 
and just right up through. We still talk about it. You know, somebody would go on a run and it would just be sixes, sixes, sixes. And you're like, what just happened? I, you know, I thought I was perfectly fine in South America. And now it's gone. Right. And, you know, it just kind of went from there. It's the hobby gaming and, and finding the new world is really over the last four years, five years of, of just that expanded. Oh, my God, there's so much more. And it's so much better than I ever thought. What was the first one, though, for you? Like Settlers of Catan? Settlers of Catan, yeah. It was the the standard gateway. Um, we had Catan out at my parents' house that we would play. And it just kind of went from there of opening the doors to the different mechanics and the different, you know, we, we send, tend to like deck builders and, and now dice builders. And my wife and I have flowed that way. But it's just fun to play all of them. A lot of people listening don't know there's a whole world of board games. And we just mentioned one, Settlers of Catan, a lot of people might not know about. that. That is a great game for a family to just pick up, especially this time of year. Play that instead of Monopoly, Jeremiah. It is. You can play Settlers and really get a feel for what's out there. Another one that we had that we thought, I base it on if it's good as if I can teach my mother and she can pick it up. Clank and Carcassonne were two. Um, we played Carcassonne with my mom just recently. And she went to her cousin's house the next day and was calling. She was like, what was that rule again? We're trying to play and we're trying to pick it up. So I think those are two that are pretty good entry games too if you want different styles. But Settlers is great. Yeah, fun stuff. Board games, though, at their heart, to your point, talking about playing with your mom, playing with your family, playing with your buddy, board games are social, which is why you have this great new website that you are debuting. But let's talk about exactly what the site is about. Let's start with with conventions. Why would somebody go to a board game convention? It's like you said, board games are social. You've got to get out. The best way to play a board game is around a table with a group of people. And sometimes that's hard to find and that's hard to do in this world is to find out who wants to play and who's playing what. The conventions are a great place to go to, A, find like-minded people. Everybody's there to play games. And to find out the new games, the old games, the games that are on shelves that you never heard about, there are thousands of games out there, tens of thousands. You know, it's tons of games that you just may not have even heard about and been like, what is this? And you walk the convention floors and you get a feel. They're doing live demos of new games. They're doing demos of old games. They've got libraries of games you can just sit down. And honestly, the best part is you get all day. If you're going to a convention, it's the rare time in your life that you're like, I have all day to sit down and play games. It could be a six-hour game. It could be an eight-hour epic game. It could be 12, you know, one-hour games. Yeah. And you just play all day. Spoken like a guy with young kids. Like yeah, I get yeah. all day. <laughs> we uh, yeah, Heaven. we go from the you know what game can we fit in between you know six and eight o'clock at night to <laughs> I have all day. You know it's a little overwhelming sometimes. What? Well, well, I love that. Uh, I love all those points. I love meeting new people, and even though some people might go, "Ooh, yeah, that sounds like you're gonna meet some pretty nerdy people." The answer is yes, because in our heart, I think we're all kind of nerds. But also, I was surprised by how non-nerdy a convention really is. I mean, when I got there, there were, there were a lot of very, very, very normal everyday people. When I first started board game conventions, I didn't think that was going to be the case. Yeah. It goes both ways. You've got the cosplayers doing great things, which are fantastic to see. And, and the excitement that they have to everyday people, you know, you see Joe walking around at the convention, wanting to play a game and, and you'd never know. And it's a, just a full mix and everybody's there having fun and the conferences do a great job of regulating everyone and regulating people and it never seems to be you know, an issue and it's just a great way to see exactly who's out there and, and that it's, it's a hobby for everybody. 
kids to adults yeah. to every mindset. Yep. And you can get as geeky as you want. You cannot be later in life. You know, I'm mid thirties now. I love it. I, I finally can, you know, go to a conference and let my inner nerd out and be like, oh, I don't have to be worried. I don't have to care. Right. <laughs> well, this conversation we're having with Lincoln that we're taking a break from right now. I mean, uh, I did that same thing, playing games that are very short, half an hour, 45 minutes, really light. I could teach my mom to epic eight hour games, just some long, fun stuff. Another great thing is I've noticed over the last 25 years, the artwork in games has gotten better, more deceptive, so that if I go to a game store, I'm going to be overwhelmed with these games that all look great. And you and I know that they're not all great. And a convention is a great way to get an introduction so that you don't have, don't get stuck with something that costs 50, 60, $70 that sits on the shelf and you never play it. Yeah, it is. And it's the hobby is almost like anything, right? You go into the grocery store and you've got 300 types of cereal or you go to the liquor store and all the bottles look the same and they're all pretty, you know, marketing has gotten that way. And I agree with the artwork. The artwork is gorgeous in a lot of these games now. But you don't know. And spending, you know, $30, $40, $60 on a game is yeah. something that, you know, you want to think about, you know, am I even going to like this? And it's a little tricky to do that. You can go to the conferences and a lot of cafes now have the option to kind of sit down and try a game and play it out. And hey, boom, I love this game. We've done that multiple times. We go to a cafe. What's this? Let's try it. Great. Oh, we just left with a board game. Well, and so. we should have maybe started there because conventions seem like a commitment you talk about all day. You don't have to make that commitment, but you can go to a board game cafe. When did you first discover board game cafes? Honestly, it was really only in the last couple of years. Um, we've got one uh, in Connecticut where we are that is fantastic. We go down. They have uh, $5 to sit at the table. You can spend all day. You can leave. You can come back. It's kind of once you pay the $5, you're in. It's small spot, but they've got great food. They've got some pretzels and quesadillas and kind of, you know, it's a limited menu, but it's great to be able to nibble and eat and drink and play some games and say, okay, we played this game. Hey, let's go to a movie in town too. And then come back later in the night and, you know, try another game. Um, or you sit down and you play an epic game if you have the time and you know, they're open late. So we get grandma over and it's like, Hey, grandma's in charge. We're going out. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that I've been to three different board game cafes. I've been to ones in new Orleans, uh, Seattle and in Kansas city and they were all different. But the one thing they all had in common is two things. They have uh, a bunch of games in the library. So you don't even show up with a game. They have a yep. bunch of them and they always have people who will teach you the game. So if you just come willing to learn games, sit down with X number of people, they'll help you find a game and teach them, which is fantastic. That's the great part too, is you get in, you, you know, learning a new game could be a little bit much, especially if you have a lot of people, you know, you've got to have one person who's in charge of the rules or not. And everybody's standing around. If you mix in the food and the fun and you just sit down and it's something to do while you're out at dinner instead of everybody looking at their phones or whatever, you're, you're engaged and you, you know, and there are some bigger ones that are breweries and they're basically restaurant, board game restaurants, call them cafes at this point. But, you know, yeah. there's some big ones out there that are, that are fantastic. Yeah. The one in Kansas City downtown was uh, down the road from my daughter's apartment they had Jeremiah just this line of taps and it was all of the mostly local microbrewers that were in town. And so it's this great microbrewery, by the way, the restaurant was actually a different company next door, but they had an agreement with them and a door in the back that adjoined and you could order yep. sitting right at the table and they bring this great food. The one in Seattle 
that we go to looks like a Barnes and Noble. I mean, it's, it's really nice, really corporate shelving. And next to it in the next room is an actual sit down restaurant that kind of reminds me of like a, um, of a, of a TGI Fridays, you know, okay. there's like a Fridays yep. attached. The cool thing about the one in Seattle, if you borrow a game and you like it, they give you a discount when you buy it. So, yep. so, so you can buy it on the spot and get a nice discount for buying it too. A lot of places do that, which is fantastic. I think it's a good little addition. It's a fun way to go spend a night. Yeah. Have a great social time. If only there were a place, if only, and I've been saying this a lot this week, if only there were a place where people could find board game cafes and conventions. Now that we've talked about what they are, how would people find them, Jeremiah? If only, if only. We are working on creating a website, findyourmeeple.com. We're going to map them all. We are currently grinding on the data. We are going to have cafes, board game shops, and conferences. You're going to be able to go in, search your filters. You want to find the conferences near you because we're in Connecticut. We just moved here. I missed three conferences in Hartford that I just didn't even know existed. Yeah, isn't that stinks? They come and all of a sudden you Facebook, you finally get blasted with a Facebook ad a day before. And you're like, it's down the road and I just, we've got plans this weekend. There should be a better way to not miss out on these things and to be able to find them and even trying to find your local friendly local game shop. Like you go in and you Google it. Do you Google hobby shop? Do you Google board game shop? You get a different response every time. And we're just trying to consolidate. You know, I love small businesses. I love local businesses. I love board gaming. I think this is a good way to help both of those hobbies come together get people into shops. You'll be able to find groups in the shops. You'll be able to, you know, go and meet people. You'll be able to learn about games. So we're trying to make it easier for everybody to just get in. And if you're traveling, you went to Kansas City or you go to Seattle and you go, oh, we tried this one. Maybe there's another one we want to try. We're hoping to to help people do that. You enter a zip code, pop everything up. You can see if it's got food. If it doesn't, real quick, real easy. And you can go make your day of it. Pull it right up on your phone. You can pull it right up on your phone. Yep. We've got the the web going right now. We're hoping to get a app coming soon. Phase one, phase two, phase <laughs> 54. <Right. laughs> We're going to give the shops and the cafes and the conferences if once they're claimed by the owner and we kind of have, we know that this is who owns the shops, they'll be able to have their own uh, individual page. So it's going to have some data behind the icon. Um, you can see there are hours and all that basic info will be on the, the icon, but then they'll be able to click into a page. It'll have their social media feeds. It'll have kind of an about us, what we are, why we're here, just to give people a better feel. You know, websites are, are tricky this day and age for people. Are, are you on Facebook? Do you get more information here, there, wherever? So we're trying to help consolidate all this for the industry and, and get people what they want quicker and easier. Now, the site is called Find Your Meeple. There's some people out there that don't know what a meeple is. Explain the word meeple. Yeah, it's an interesting name that uh, when I say it to somebody in the board gaming community, they're like, that's amazing. And when I say it to somebody outside, they're like, they give me that look of like, what are you talking about? <laughs> a meeple is the original figure. It's just the little guy doodad, that player piece that you would move around the board. It's shaped like a little wooden human. It's kind of the standard piece. I don't know if you've got a better description. No, no, that is, that's exactly what it is. It's this little standard piece that represents your person. And uh, I heard a story a long time ago. Don't know if it's true, but I think it might be. Uh, there was some board game, a bunch of, uh, of uh, influential people in the board game community sitting around together. And somebody said, they were talking about, well, I got to move my people. 
And instead of my people, they said meeple. So meeple is my people. Um, uh, that's where the word supposedly came from. Okay. I like it. Yes. I'll go with that. That yeah. sounds legit. Yeah. Probably the best lie ever, but I'm going with that. Go with it. <laughs> if you say it with enough confidence. That's true. right. All right. If you want to find the next uh, conference or the or a board game shop or a cafe in your community, head to findyourmeeple.com. You guys are hoping everything is live today, but that's kind of a fingers crossed, right? If it's not, it's going to be in the very near future. That's a fingers crossed. You know, we're doing a lot of the background work right now. We've got a thousand locations, 11 different countries right now. It's been all hand entered by me. So if it's not live, it will be soon. You can always go over to the page. There's a place right now to enter your shops uh, that you might have that hopefully we we don't have or hopefully we do have and you just feel like doubling up, that's fine. Or conferences near you, it just gives us a, a better spot to help get those smaller ones in there that maybe we missed. So you can... Enter some of your local shops if you feel like it, or you can peruse others that are around. Jeremiah, man, thanks for hanging out with us. By the way, if you're driving down the road or you're walking the dog, whatever, we've got you covered. You'll find a link to find your meeple on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Go play some games, man. I can't wait. Uh, We're probably going to pull something out tonight, maybe a Clans of Caledonia or something. (laughs) That'd be great. Hey there, holiday board gamers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to the best game on this episode. Yeah, my trivia. Anyone else feeling like they should have stocked up on the Tums before eating like a week's worth of food yesterday? No? Just me, huh? I mean, let's get real. Who can stop at just two cherry pies? And if you think about it, thank goodness for board games, because who has the energy to brave the crowds out at the mall? Wow, now that I think about it, overeating just saved me a bundle of money. Hashtag winning. How much money did I save? Well, let's do the math with uh, today's trivia question, shall we? How much money did the average Black Friday shopper spend during last year's big shopping day? Going to have your answer, yep, right after this. What if you too could be balding and own your own podcast production company? Think that would be too good to be true? Well, strap on the wow helmet, kids, because we're about to introduce you to Stacking Benjamins in the Cab. Now, you too can create a moderately successful internet radio show from the comfort and privacy of your own mom's basement. That's right. Stacking, Stacking Benjamins, Benjamins in the, the Cab is the do-it-yourself kit that's creating tons of internet fun. What's included? Well, feast your eyes on this, kids. Open up your Stacking, Stacking Benjamins, Benjamins in the, the Cab, and you'll see 14 ways to talk about your latest trip to Bavaria. 18 of the worst bad dad jokes you've ever heard. Your own barely relevant holiday calendar. A sealed container brimming with the smells of stale basement air and day-old pizza. Plus, one script chock full of Segway ideas. And because there was still a little room, we also shoved in your very own Steak Brother story. All in the can. That's not all. Think we can't do better? Oh, yes, we can. We've also thrown in the can five gratuitous references to OG's after-school activity. 
three boring tales about how cold it is in Detroit, and if you call in now, tons of free Sizzler coupons. How do you get it? You know that's not the question to ask. Oh, go ahead, ask us. How do I get it in the can? Here's the secret to stacking Benjamins in the can. Just head to your mom's basement, buy a microphone, and we'll take care of the rest. Stacking Benjamins in the can couldn't be easier. Still not sold? What if I told you stacking Benjamins in the can is gluten-free? That's right. Healthy, barely funny, and all stuffed into this refillable souvenir container. Call for yours today. Operators are standing by. No animals were harmed in the making of this recording. Welcome back, board game nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and after some antacid, like a whole pack of them, and a quick game of Scrabble with Joe's mom, I'm feeling way better. But the real game today, you and I both know, is my trivia. Here was the question. How much did the average Black Friday shopper spend during last year's event? And your answer? Well, if you said $1,007, you are so wrong. But if you said $1,007.24, you'd be correct. See, I can be fun to play games with. It doesn't matter what OG says. You just got to be right. See ya. I feel like I should be part of the uh, council for board game lovers or whatever, if there is such a thing. I don't know. Probably isn't. All right. Let's go back for part two of our discussion with Lincoln Damhurst from Dallas, Texas. A lot of people, Lincoln, spend a lot of time at the holidays with friends and family. They don't know what to pull out. So they'll pull out phase 10, which I think should be called phase four yeah. because the let, you know, by then the game should be over and it just keeps going. Or <laughs> uh, they'll play Monopoly or something that, that always seems like a good idea. But if you're going to spend money on some fun games, let's, let's not talk about money, just sure, sure. fun games to play with families, party games or very light games. What are, what are a couple of good buys? Well, one of my favorites of recent years is called Strike. It's no longer available except in France, but there's a new version of it called Impact. And it's, I, I'm sure it was made in a bar. Impact you, is a game people can get. Yes. Okay. And it is a bowl that you're throwing dice into. What you're hoping for is pairs or any matching numbers. Any matching numbers that you get, you take out of the arena. Everybody starts with the same amount of that dice. It's like five or six dice. And you're throwing it in, hoping to get pairs, and then pull them out. The, one of the best parts about the game, Mark Johnson will argue that it's not a good game. Dave will argue that it is a great game. Aaron loves the game. One of the favorite things about the game is if you wipe out the arena where everything's a match, because if it's any pairs, two, uh, three of the same number, all of them come out into your hand. If the arena is empty, the next player must throw all their dice in and hope to have some sort of a match because it starts with one die in the center of the arena. And any X's in the base uh, strike go out. So if you roll an X, that die automatically comes out. And you can keep throwing dice, but it's a, you know, you're, are you sinking in the pit, throwing dice and not making matches, building this giant straight that some, you know, somebody yeah, else will yeah. win? But what they've done on impact is it's not an X, it's a blank side. And then the rest are icons. So there's like a golem, which I always remember the golem. If you match that, you take both of them out and it's a stack of dice. So then the next time when you play, 
if you decide to play those dice, you can throw both of those in and hope to disrupt the dice and make some more matches. I mean, there's a, it's amazing there's actually strategy, and it's a really fun game. It sounds like people are laughing a lot. It is really good. The problem with Impact versus Strike is the arena. The original game is in the standard uh, Ravensburger flatbox like the Alea mid-size games, and the new one, Impact, is in a taller box, so the arena's smaller but deeper. My opinion, they're both fantastic. Others really, really only like the other arena. I will say that I was teased that maybe something's coming from Ravensburger because the guy that, when he saw us doing the show, on, a Strike on Game Night, he's like, I know you're going to love this game. And I'm like, I already know about it. I'm waiting for it. And then he said, you're going to wonder what we were doing because they had gotten rid of that size of box. So I think... Based on his intimation, that's probably coming back. We'll see. I hope so. But you can still get it from France, and yeah. it's fantastic game. When we were at Cannes FIJ this year, there was a giant-sized version of it that was 3D printed, and people were chucking these four-inch-sized dice into the arena. It's fantastic. I'm watching a game like that downstairs. Every time I come to this convention, people are playing this game called uh, Super Rhino Hero, yep, I think, yep. which is really a kid's game. Right. And you're building a house. Yep, with the cards. And you're going higher and higher and higher. And this woman last night is standing on the table. She's reaching out as high as she can. She still can't reach it, but she somehow barely put something on the top of the stack before the whole Was thing. Was she came playing out. the standard sized one or the large sized one? This is, it's a huge one. Okay, yeah. That one is available again. And I think. That came out in Japan only. Yeah. And the BGG store has sold that, and I think we might have copies. The small one is fun for kids. It's fantastic. Both versions are great. Yeah. But the giant size version is ridiculous. And then we see kids building it and then running through, knocking it down and stuff. But uh, <laughs> it's really amazing because you have to fold some of the cards to actually make the elements, the, the vertical elements for the apartment building, and then you put a floor on top of that. And then your goal is to make it – you just need to get past your turn. Yeah. And then the other player will place – and then you move the rhino potentially because the super rhino's on the different floors and it makes it unstable for the next player. It's really fun. For people looking for games for kids generally, it seems to me that Haba is just a great, like if you're looking for a gift for a kid that's a game, Haba's a great They're place fantastic. To turn. Last year's Kinderspiel, which is the Children's Game of the Year award, was Funkel Shots, which is Dragon's Breath. And the deal is, is you, it's basically like shower rings where you're, you have these gems and you're pulling them off. And you're hoping that, so basically Dad Dragon is blasting the ice these, uh, that has these gems trapped. And you're pulling it off and hoping that the dice will fall in your zone. Uh, not the dice, the jewels. And it's super beautiful production. It's a very young kids game, but I really, really enjoyed it. We, we always feature the children's games on our show. A lot of these games, too, seem like they're designed so that kids can be better than adults, adults are. Yes. Like in real life. Yes. I mean, just because they have smaller fingers or right. whatever it might be, like mom and dad mess it up. I want to get to one more game. This year, there's a huge award in gaming that they give to a game that brings... And by the way, I wish the Academy Awards worked this way, <laughs> where I wish it was a movie that the Academy thought would bring more people to watch movies. And sometimes, you know, they have a movie that's great, but it's hard. You know, it's a very difficult movie for people to watch. But this award's different it's an award for the game of the year, and this year's winner is a big party game. Oh, just one? Yeah. It's fantastic. What's funny about that game, I will say this that only gamers will understand, the designers are Bruno and Ludovic, which everybody would think would be Bruno Catala and Ludovic Montblanc, but it's actually Bruno Souter and Ludovic Rowdy, the designers of Seventh Continent. 
So can you believe that's the same designers? But the way that game works, it's a party game where everybody's working together and you'll put the card in front of you and you select a number. It'll have a word that you are trying to, the rest of the players of the game are trying to describe to that person. And they will all secretly write down the word on their little easel, dry erase easel. And then before they reveal it to the guesser, they compare the cards to see if there are any words that match. Any words that match are pulled out so then, which makes sure, by the way, then that you're not doing the obvious word. Right. But at the same time, even when you're not doing the obvious word, the, the one that's probably the next best word <laughs> is the one that matches. And we've had it where, where they're down to like one word trying to guess what it is. And so then when you miss, you have an option like to not guess, or if you're wrong, you dump two cards, but you're trying to get as many of the cards in the stack. It starts with like 13 cards. You're trying to get as many as those words as a team to gauge your success. So is this two teams or is just it just one team? It's everybody together. Everybody's cooperative. Yeah, it just goes around. Each person takes a turn yeah. trying to guess what the word is. And they just pick from one of the five words on the card. You know, you just say number three. And then people will then try to uh, get the words that will help you decide what word you have on in front of you that you can't see. It is funny that you see these designers that make very different games. And just one, I keep hearing. I haven't played it yet, but it it's sounds fantastic. It's really, really great. But it reminds me of a great game from a couple of years ago, which people can also pick up. And they'd really like called Code Names. Oh, man. The, the designer of Code Names has made some stuff yeah. that's very, he, very, very deep games. Very Dungeon deep. Pets and yeah. Through the Ages and Vlada Shivatil is a uh, Hivatil uh, is a great designer. And when we played that game, I think it, it was two weeks old when we played the prototype. Did you play Code Names? Yeah, I don't first? play prototypes usually, but we had the opportunity to play that, and it was the type of game re- where you're like, why wasn't this already created? You know, it should have existed already. And that one is not cooperative. You, It's team versus team. Yeah. But there is a cooperative version of it for two players. We always play, though, big teams against big teams. Right. You know, we don't play two well, people and, at a time. And it's one of those games where people can walk in and out of the game. Yes. And people can watch and be spectators enjoy the game. And then they join in and people will leave and it just keeps going. I mean, that's not the way to play the game. You are trying to score. But it is really fun as a party game because it certainly works like that and everybody have a great time. So there's no real competition it's just the fun to just to see if the people can get it because the deal is is there's two buying factions and there's hidden people on the board and you have them in a specific array it's always this grid yeah and each team has shows which cards they're trying to get their team to figure out and so that you, you you see those markings on the cards and then they see the ones on the other side and then you're also trying to get your uh your spy and lose the round but it's fantastic. And the and the, the two-player variant, which is Codenames Duet, is really, really great as well. I've heard that too. And though that's two players on the same team. Yeah. And there's also versions. There's many licensed versions now. Harry Potter yep, Codenames. That, they have pictures. I yeah. think Harry Potter one is actually based on Duet. And then there's a Disney one and a Marvel one. And I believe those are standard Codenames. And you're trying to f- describe pictures uh, with uh, words in the game, I believe. Because I actually have no enough. I, I guess I have played codename pictures. And then somebody uh, recently for my birthday got me uh, Codenames After Dark, which is the adult version. Yeah, yeah. Of that, that was so. That one actually wasn't designed by them. Of that, course not. Target wanted. They were a little nervous about that one, but I mean, they'd get approval on all that type of sure. stuff. But that one, they were. I don't think you see his name on the box on that one. I um, think that's when you could tell a game's a hit, though, when there's 57 different Oh, man, it's amazing. Game. And Target was really serious about that one. That's the one that they put together for that from another publisher in New York. Really amazing. And I think there are two versions of that, too, After Dark. 
Lincoln, if only there were a show that people could watch where they could learn how to play more board games. <laughs> if only that existed. Oh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> ours, ours is pretty good. We have, I think we're now at like 270 something episodes. That's incredible. And uh, most of the time, 95% of the time, we do a, a very, very good teach of the game and then a playthrough and then a discussion. It's really great. Yeah. If it's a game that I'm intensely interested in, I will watch it from start to finish. If it's a game where I just want to hear what you guys Talk think. Talk about it, yeah. Yeah, I listen to the rules discussion, and then I'll watch a couple pieces in the middle, and then I'll go to the that's, end to see yeah, what you guys that's think That's Mark Johnson's it. thing. So yeah. he was a... That's actually kind of how that whole format worked out. We would play games at our friend's house, and then we'd leave the house at like 12 or 1 at night, and then stand out by our cars for another hour talking <laughs> about talk the games. About and uh, that's where that all came about. And he really loves the discussion part of the That sounds too. like Mark Johnson. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, he doesn't like to discuss that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Lincoln, thanks a ton for hanging out with us and talking board games. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. That's going to do it for today. Man, hope everybody is having a fantastic holiday weekend in the United States. If you're outside the U.S., hope you're having just a great week. We're going to be back here Monday talking about holiday parties all week. That's going to do it for today. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take some advice from Lincoln Damhurst. Want to teach your kids something about money? Play some games and let them enjoy the topic. The difficult conversations might be easier after a fun game of speculation or maybe a choir. Second, take some advice from Jeremiah Cole Kelly. Want some cheap fun? Use sites like Find Your Meeple to look for game cafes or events in your area. But the big lesson? If you're playing Monopoly with OG, don't trade him all the railroads. That guy will railroad you right off the map. Redding? Who the hell lands on Redding four times in one game? Here, just go ahead. Take my Illinois Avenue. It's mortgage to the hilt anyway, just like their pension fund. Am I right? Big thanks to Lincoln Damhurst for joining us. You'll find him and his co-stars Nikki and Dave on Game Night wherever there's a hot new game. You'll find Game Night on YouTube and on BoardGameGeek.com. Thanks also to Jeremiah Cole Kelly for joining in the fun. Head to findyourmeeple.com, and if the stars align, it launched today. If not, that's ah, coming real quick. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes. Not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Also, thanks to Joe's mom for agreeing to play Boggle with me. Would this be a game about John Boggle, maybe, the founder of Vanguard? That'd be so exciting. Can I put my Vanguard t-shirt on before we play, Ma? Maybe my Vanguard socks? Oh, it's John Bogle, not Boggle? Oh, what the heck, I'm in anyway. I know all the two-letter words.
So a little short story about uh, this interview with Lincoln. He's very busy as part of the Board Game Geek team putting on this conference. And uh, he and I texted back and forth a few times. I got lucky. I ran into him at one point, introduced myself at a time. So he knew what I looked like, who I was, even though we'd been emailing back and forth the entire month. He and I get three quarters of the way through the interview and his uh, spouse, Nikki, comes in as he and I talked about. She's on the show. And it was really cool just seeing these people that I watch on YouTube all the time. One I'm interviewing, another one just walked into the suite where Lincoln was editing videos from the show. And then there's a knock on the door as the three of us are chatting after the interview. And in walks a guy who I've seen a million times. Now, I've said before in the past, I don't play a lot of video games, but I love following them. I love E3 every year. I love following what's new. I love the technology on the entertainment front, which is why I like Bridget Carey's uh, episode on Wednesday. So I see this face, this person in front of me, and Lincoln says, hey, uh, Joe Saul Cihai, this is Tim Schafer. And for people that know video games, you'll know Tim Schafer. If not, I'll tell you, Tim is one of the most iconic video game developers out there. He runs a company called Double Fine Productions. Before that, he was with a little company called LucasArts, which, yes, that's George Lucas. He's got an incredible sense of humor. He worked on the Monkey Island series, Grim Fandango, uh, Full Throttle. was one of my favorite games back in the day. He made a game called uh, Massive Chalice, which starred Jack Black voicing the main character. Psychonauts is what he's really known for. Psychonauts 2 is coming out next year. Just a guy who's made a lot of awesome games and he's standing right in front of me. And now I'm completely in fanboy mode and I'm trying my hardest not to be in fanboy mode. And I kind of held it together. I think I held it together. And I said to Nikki, when I saw her later on in, in a hallway, I said, Hey, uh, the Tim Schafer thing, didn't see that coming. And I am such a fan of that guy's work. I hope I held it together. And she said, yeah, I didn't even notice. And she laughed at me. Very fun, though. Lots of cool people. Playing board games, including some of my favorite video game designers. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning. Because it is Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.